Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. So welcome, my listening audience. This is Karen Rand. <clears throat> we have the investors and entrepreneurs tune in to, to hear this show, primarily because we, at, at our core, we're capitalists. We want to make money. Um, you can't help uh, those that are less fortunate from you or um, support the causes that you feel really passionate about if you don't have extra cash or have wealth. You know, you can pay it forward that way. And so that's the capitalism side of it. And the compassion side of it is how you choose to do that. And, and of course, I've committed decades of my life to what I call compassionate capitalism, which is where in my intro, I talk about investing money, but it's also your time, your knowledge, your resources to help entrepreneurs succeed, to bring that innovation to the market so that they can create the jobs as well as create the wealth. And one of the things that I've learned, and uh, and I thought it was good to kind of go back to some basics uh, within this particular show that we're going to do today, because uh, as I go through uh, helping companies figure out how to navigate uh, the access to capital, with uh, particularly as a startup, and one of the things that I felt has always been uh, a, a nice outcome of well-run incubators is that they, they get down to understanding who their authentic customer is is and um, seeing if they can even do the uh, do what they're thinking about doing do they have the means to be able to do it how much is it going to take how complex will it be and is there a market for it those are really fundamentals that any investor is looking for and sometimes if they aren't sure that the entrepreneur has that knowledge then they always the, the if you ever get this if you're an entrepreneur listening and you ever get this as your um your investors or your target person will come back to me when you have an MVP or X number of customers or X number of revenue or something like that. It's because they don't believe that you know how you're going to get this to the market. They know that you know who your customer is or how you're going to get your customer and that you've not really done the foundation. It's not so much that they're, they're I mean, there's investors for every stage of company from the pure seed stage, idea stage, which is even is the hardest money to raise, but all the way through to the growth stage and the companies that are scaling, which are who I mostly work with today. And so when I met Max, my guest today, who I'll, I'm going to introduce now, um, we met through LinkedIn, but then we had a conversation because as I seek to bring guests on this show that I think bring value to the audience, I'm always, you know, looking at what is it that their experience has been, what is the knowledge they part, and how do they impact the entrepreneur ecosystem? And so there's something for everybody within, you know, the listening audience that I have. And at the, Max um, was, I, I, I'm now I'm lost for words because I've just been really impressed with what Max has accomplished. Um, we started out having a conversation just about his helping young entrepreneurs, but then I quickly found out that it was so much more than that, and he has his pulse on what I just talked about. I called it in the show notes and in the title as Lean Startup in Practice, so we're going to talk a little bit about that because there's 
you know, it's a, it's a cliche almost now because of the book and people using this and incubators using this and all this kind of stuff. But there's really, there's, there's something fundamental in what you, what you need to do as a lean startup. And so I just, I was um, very happy that Max and I got it together to have this show for you today. And so let me tell you a little bit about him. He's the host of a weekly live stream series called Entrepreneur, Nerd, Entrepreneurd. Okay, that's also his uh, blog, entrepreneur.blog is his website. Um, in the show notes, it's also his LinkedIn profile. The weird, it's where he conducts experiments live to educate his audience, which is mostly these young entrepreneurs or really startup entrepreneurs or guys with ideas, guys and gals with ideas on the accessibility of entrepreneurship through no-code tools and customer discovery. And so what I want to, what I mean by that, and he'll probably go into a lot more explanation because when I looked at his, his entrepreneur site, I realized that there was just a ton of tools out there that I knew some of them and I watched some of his streams and I, you know, knew some of the tools, but a while back we used to do, how do you, how do you bootstrap? And we would talk about using tools in order to bootstrap and get to the point where you've got a proven business model and a proven marketplace. And that's really kind of what we're talking about within this. But his philosophy, which I think is, is, is spot on, is that there's a process to entrepreneurship. Uh, so often entrepreneurs get the cart before the horse. You know, I had a client that I worked with not too long ago that had spent tens of thousands of dollars, actually over $50,000, a couple of them I had, had on patents. And then when I got in on it, I was like, well, you're never going to be able to produce this product with the resources that you have available to you and, and compete. You have to be able to raise, you really, you know, you, and he spent all this money getting a, a patent done before he, he actually had validated, could it be built? And would people want it for the market that he was intending to use it for? And the answer to all of that was no. I worked with him on pivoting it and he did pivot it and, you know, moved on. But, you know, it's a completely different business than what he had originally started out when he spent all that money. So, there's a process, there's a, a sequence of events, right? So to prove that, he experiments every Saturday, here you go, folks, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. live on LinkedIn and Twitch, for the game is out there, y'all know Twitch, by building these mini startups, side hustles, and lifestyle businesses all on camera. Now that, that right there, very few people have the gumption to do stuff live like that. You know, Geraldo learned his lesson about doing live stuff. <laughs> but Max Mirho, my guest, who you hear laughing right now, is uh, he does it live, all right? And so, Max, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here today to share your knowledge and insights with our audience. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Sure thing. So, uh, let's get started by sort of talking about, you know, if people see your picture because they look at the thing, they'll realize how young you are. You're, um, yeah. most people, uh, at your age, um, you know, are out there Saturday night, six thirty to eight o'clock. They are not doing live shows, helping entrepreneurs figure out their <laughs> stuff. Okay. I'll just say that. Okay. And, uh, so talk about how you, you know, how you got to where you are now. I mean, you t talk about, you've got this incredible thing and we'll, we'll dig into that, uh, um, the, uh, moth 
correct me mm-hmm, here, what mm-hmm. is it, Moss, uh, that is just, you know, it, it's proven in and of itself as a, as kind of a startup that there was a marketplace for it that they proved out. And, and when you, you know you have a marketplace when people come to you seeking, seeking what you do. So uh, tell, tell our audience about how you, you know, did you grow up in an entrepreneur family? Did you um, just sort of have it, you know, there's always this, was it, was it, were you born with it or do you, did you, <laughs> did you grow it? You know, I mean, how did you, yeah. how did you become so passionate and knowledgeable, knowledgeable about entrepreneurism to do what you do today? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what you were referring to just a second ago was Moss Generation. And the two things that I do, I have the, the entrepreneur kind of podcast, live stream, whatever you want to call it. I do that on Saturdays and that's awesome. That's more for like young entrepreneurs or people that don't know what's going on yet and want to get into it. And then I have Moss Generation, which is trying to centralize the already existing startup activity with real entrepreneurs building real businesses um, in Pittsburgh, where I live. Um, and those are the two things I'm working on. But I, I've been building those over the past uh, two years before, like my dad is, is very entrepreneurial. He's always been, always been really interested in it. Um, he came from a different angle. He's actually a patent attorney. Um, and so he was very much on kind of the, like the little story that you were telling before on the IP side, like, Oh, get a patent first. Don't do anything until you get a patent. Um, just because that's the environment he, he kind of grew up in and the business that he operated in. Um, but I, uh, he kind of, wanted me to go into entrepreneurship. I experimented a little bit there. I thought business was really cool. I thought starting companies was really cool, but I knew Jack about it. Um, and I got to school and I still knew Jack about it. I took entrepreneurship classes and I still knew Jack about it. Um, and then at the beginning of my junior year, end of my sophomore year, uh, beginning of my junior year of college, which was a couple of years ago, um, I decided I was not learning anything in school, in, in my environment, wherever. I wasn't, I was in, taking entrepreneurship classes and I was in an entrepreneurship major at Carnegie Mellon University, which is a great school, a great entrepreneurship school, um, great program, but they, I still wasn't learning enough. So I went out, I talked to over the next, I think year and a half, I talked to probably a hundred, 150 entrepreneurs, um, uh, just aggressively meeting with as many people as I possibly could building awesome product, uh, tech companies, just to understand like how they got there how they knew their idea was a good idea, how they got started, um, and just like the early steps. And they kind of explained to me that customer discovery is how this kind of functions. These are the kind of questions you need to ask. These are the people that you target, and this is how you do that. And so I kind of boil all of that, everything that I learned in that kind of sequence down into what is now entrepreneur. And I still haven't figured it out. I think Moss Generation is kind of a startup. Um, it's not a product company. Um, but I'm building little tiny little things, little lifestyle businesses, little side hustles here and there, trying to get paid for them. And even if I don't figure that out, it's still valuable for people to see, right? Because even if you mess something up, you still learn a ton from it. So that's oh, yeah. kind of where I got and how I got there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like on your entrepreneur website, do you mm-hmm. have um, – uh, do you – are all those links to those apps, is that sort of like an affiliate thing or those people can just use them or how do they go about getting access to those tools that you you put up there? Totally, yeah. So I got the inspiration for that uh, because there's a couple of different little websites, one called MakerPad. MakerPad.co um, is the – it's like a giant hub online for all these no-code tools. And they focus a little bit less on entrepreneurship and more like the process of building – uh, an MVP or a product. So they have a different angle than me, but they're way, way better. They have tutorials. They have all this amazing content around like no code tools and how to build things without learning like a code code for even a second. Um, and I'm really passionate about that because I like 
had a business degree. I didn't study code. I didn't study tech. I took maybe a, like a JavaScript class, but I could, can't build anything for the life of me. Um, and so like no code tools are an especially clever way, quick way, rapid way, and cost effective way, honestly, to build little products. If you're trying to create something for an industry, for a customer, for whatever it is that you're doing, um, or maybe just for your internal business. And so like, they're awesome. They're amazing. I got the inspiration from that. I'm making a small list. I hopefully would love to make them affiliate links at some point. I think one of them is an affiliate link right now uh, because I got in contact with the founder. That would be amazing if I could uh, do that. Cause Hey, I, I can get paid for entrepreneurs, which would be so much fun. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, like I would check out my website. I have a few up there. There's maybe like three or four, but makerpad.co has an unbelievable amount of hundreds and hundreds of unbelievable tools to build quite literally, I think, whatever you want. If you're thinking of a product, if you're thinking of an app, if you're thinking of a fancy website, I guarantee that you can build it without code. So yeah, I would check out makerpad.co and I have a couple resources yeah. on my website under tools and resources. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that, uh, I had an interview that I did a few months back, so you'd have to dig through my archives to get to it, but it was called mm-hmm. the, uh, I believe it was called the third wave. And uh, then I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and a guy talked about the fourth gen and it's a little bit also to the tune of what um, presidential candidate Yang talks about. Right. Mm-hmm. And this concept is that the next generation or the third wave of of um, industrialization is going to be entrepreneurism, side hustles, mm-hmm. as you talk about, and things like that, and many startups. And you know, you depending on what happens with healthcare, you keep your day job so you got benefits, and then you do a side hustle. And I've also often talked about one of the reasons why we have um, this uh, eco- the uh, um, oh, I just blank on the name of it, but this economy where people are are doing lots of different things. You know, people say, well, gig economy, economy. there you go. Thank you. Um, Is because it, I believe, and you would probably, because it's really within your generation that's sort of leading the wave on that is that they want the, the people want the independence to be able to experience life on their terms and not on a nine to five basis or something. And so Mm -hmm. having multiple of these side hustle, many startups have part, you know, a semi full-time job and other things on the side is a way that, you know, people are, are able to achieve their balance of life of, of wealth that's determined not just by financial needs. So speak a little bit to that because I think you could probably relate to that and what you see in all that you do and starting talking to, whether it's in Pittsburgh in the face to face of these young entrepreneurs or what you see, because in the shows that I've caught on your, your feed, you're, you have a lot of folks that tune in on a regular basis because you're like, oh, hey, hi, all that. So <laughs> talk about what you see happening out there in the marketplace when it comes to, you know, are people going for, I mean, yeah, they go for the big dream, but are they, are they just really getting ideas and trying to get them to market really fast? Yeah, totally. So this is a big focus of entrepreneurs for me. I'm really, really interested in it because, like, it's – like personally for me, like I love, I do freelance work and I deliberately did that when I got out of college because so I would have flexibility to build entrepreneur, to build Moss Generation, to build some of my other little side hustles that I'm doing via entrepreneur. Um, the, like it's, 
that lifestyle for me. Like I'll stay up super, super late sometimes doing a ton of work and then wake up like at noon the next day. But I'm able to do that because I, I have flexibility when I get my work done, when I do things. Um, and I'm still probably going to like end up be like working the same amount as a nine to five job would be. But because I have flexibility, I could say like, I'll jam two days of work into one day. I'll work super hard this one week so I won't have to work hardly at all the next week, right? Like you have flexibility in terms of like how you live your life. And I think given the, the more popularity of the gig economy, given the more pop, the greater popularity of things like, like Fiverr and Upwork and all of these like freelancing sites online, um, and given the flexibility of a lot of workplaces to remote work, to like kind of on your own terms kind of thing, to contract work, it's becoming more and more popular to, to hire a bunch of contractors, to hire a bunch of, of freelancers um, to supplement half of your team instead of just having everybody full-time in office. Uh, and like in, in terms of like the future of work, I think that's becoming significantly more popular. It's going to take a bit longer for larger corporations to hop on that train. But in the meantime, freelance and, and like, like college is becoming less popular as, as a result because people are realizing, hey, I can find my education elsewhere. Hey, I can focus on some specific career and do freelancing and have a lot more flexibility in terms of my life. I think in general that's becoming more popular. Uh, I think that has a bit of a stark contrast from entrepreneurship uh, in, in terms of like the startup, uh, the startup world, because the startup world, everybody that's talked to in the startup world has their lives taken over by their startups. Like if you're building a real product startup, especially if you raise money, you, that's all you do, right? Like that is, yeah. that is your life for at least the period right. that you're working on it. And some people love that. And I want to do that eventually, but not right now. Um, but it's, it's very, very consuming because it takes just so much, right? Um, but the, 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 the digital nomad kind of lifestyle or the, the gig economy lifestyle or the, the freelance lifestyle is a lot more flexible. A lot of them call themselves entrepreneurs too. I believe they are. I think it's the same thing. I think it's just creating wealth on, on, on an independent level. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of a different thing, but I think there should be a larger, much, much larger focus on small companies on side hustles. For instance, right now I'm building I have an, a fully automated uh, little internship platform for startups in town because I have access to all the startups through my group. I'm trying to monetize that little, uh, that little internship platform. It's called the YesPGH, Young Entrepreneur Society of Pittsburgh. Um, it's a little side project of mine. I'm building it on Entrepreneur and showing everybody how I'm doing it. Um, it took me 45 minutes to set up. Uh, it's a fully functional website, but I'm trying to get paid a little bit of, like for that. The maximum that I'm probably going to top out at is like – a thousand bucks per month. But if I can do that, that's just more free time for me, right? To build other things, to be more flexible, to have my own life. But I'm still creating just as much value as I would maybe in a job. So I think there needs to be a much, much larger focus on, on, on side hustles, on lifestyle companies, because there's no education or on lifestyle companies. It's all startups or nothing. Um, and there's, there's too much hype around all the Silicon Valley kind of things. Now that's understandable. There's a ton of wealth to be made there. But it's, there needs to be a bigger focus moving forward in the future on these smaller companies, these smaller initiatives that you can maybe like supplement your career with or, or do part-time work and, and have a project on the side that helps you make up the rest of the cash that you need to survive. There needs to be so much bigger of a focus on that, and that's what I'm trying to educate on, that small-form kind of entrepreneurship. Well, and also by doing it that way and gaining your skill set that way, because everyone that you do, whether you, you succeed and make that $1,000 a month or you don't, and it flames out in four months or something like that, you will have learned a life lesson on, in entrepreneurism and customer engagement that when you go mm -hmm. to apply it to something else that says, you know, five years from now, whether you are starting something yourself or you're jo joining something as a co-founder or joining something because you have mastered the uh, the knowledge of 
of customer engagement through these different platforms that you're using, whatever it Mm -hmm. brings that might bring you into something that someday might have a hundred employees, you know, you, um, that's, uh, and and I think, I think the smart investors, so for the investors out there, so many times they look at, oh, like a cut and dry black and white answer of, you know, what has this person done as an MVP or this or that without looking at, and sometimes the entrepreneurs have a hard time articulating it because they don't necessarily see the value in what it is that they've experienced along the way. But, you know, that, that there's a risk abatement by you spending your time developing those skills in the real world, right, in an apprenticeship, if you will, of entrepreneurism, mm-hmm. you know, as well as somebody that, you know, may have been a scientist that has um, been inventing things or discovering things. And finally they had their aha moment. And so even though it took them 10 years to have that aha moment, that was 10 years of, you know, trial and error of this or that, or what really worked or something. So um, I think that there's real value in going about that. And, And the nice thing is, is that we do because of the electronic tools that we have out there and the advancement of, people creating these tools that do different things, you know, that um, can make it where you can create a mobile app. That was one of the things I asked you about is one of these tools, one that I could use to create a quick little mobile app. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, here, mm-hmm. use this tool. Right. And so there's all kinds of ways of um, going about that. So let's, let's uh, tr- transition into this idea of lean startup. Okay. Because as I, when I was writing my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, I, I took a, I had a segment that I talked about Lean Startup and Growth Hack in there because I wanted to, um, for investors that are first coming into the idea of investing in entrepreneurism as an angel investor or crowdfunding investor to understand the value of, of that and exactly what I talked about, the journey to get there. And, you know, I saw so many things back in the dot-com era where just money was thrown at these companies and they didn't Mm -hmm. know what to do with all that money because they hadn't really gone through the process of of really validating your customer. And both of those philosophies are really this idea of, of, of small iterations and improvements to get to what the real product needs to be. And the real customer, who the real customer need is that authentic customer that says, they're they not just saying, yeah, I like it. They're actually going to want to buy it and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and working your way through that. And people use the word pivot and growth hack is really kind of pivoting as you go based on your market response and growing according to that, or having side, a side hustle in the business that generates revenue while you're working on your, your core business, which is kind of how Google got going. And so, uh, within your experience, because I believe you're doing both of these things without under that label or that umbrella of that. Talk about how you've experienced, maybe you've got an example of somebody or people that you know of that you've worked with through Moss Generation or through your shows that you've seen them progress and go through iterations to get to something where they really do have a full-fledged company. Absolutely, yeah. So, I know a good number of companies in Moss Generation that kind of fit that uh, that criteria because every time that I get get everybody together for an event or I, I have something with the whole Moss Gen group, I'm always asking like, how's it going? How's customer attraction? Like, how how much are you selling? Like, like how's this working? How's this happening? Um, it's there's an interesting kind of sometimes it's not always the product. And I, I'm going to use uh, one of my friends, Rachel Reed. Uh, she runs a company called Subtle Beauty, 
and really, really great company, really, really cool, consumer-facing B2C. Uh, basically, it's like uh, it's kind of a new angle on, on makeup, right? So the, the standard makeup package that you have, um, she kind of compresses it into a really, really neat, uh, customizable format so that while you're on the go, um, you, can, you can kind of apply things in different places and, and you're not limited to, to only applying makeup at home. Um, and it's, it's been really, really helpful for a lot of people. It's very, it's very like travel-sized, compact, um, and, and, and discreet. Uh, and so th- that's what she builds. For a while, she had a lot of trouble. Um, and it wasn't with her product. Her product was fine. She was she had a lot of faith in the product. But what she was struggling with in terms of what was kind of custom, was like marketing fit, right? She couldn't find out the right campaign. She couldn't find out the right angles, and she couldn't find out the right channels to to advertise what she was building or what she was creating because she she had confidence that there was a market. She had talked to plenty of customers directly, and she knew she was solving a real customer problem. But she couldn't figure out a way to get that out there, right? And I think part of the the entire company overall, part of the product is how it is marketed. Um, right. She had to go through tons of iterations in terms of the channel she was using. Instagram was always useful because Instagram is very B2C, um, and that worked great. Uh, but she started to get press. She started to do influencer marketing. She started to test all these different things, and suddenly she started to get a lot more traction, for, like a lot more bang for her buck in terms of um, uh, like customers, uh, depending on how much she puts in. Um, and I think influencer marketing was the big thing that really, really helped for her. She was very, very smart with that, targeting the right people um, at the right times. Uh, but it took a lot of testing. It took a while because she, she spent so much time on the product. And then, and it's never like make it and they'll come. It's never, ever works like that. You have to – marketing is a huge, huge issue for a lot of startups. You create something that's amazing. You create something that's awesome. You put a ton of money into it. But, like, getting it out there is the next challenge. It's just <laughs> as big as building the product. Um, and so it's, a lot of people overlook that and think that's going to be super easy. But yeah, so uh, that's a, that's a good example. There are a few, I can think of plenty of other people that are always trying to pivot, always trying to iterate, um, on, on making what they're building successful. It's a very common problem. Yeah, it's, uh, innovate or die. And so iterate <laughs> or die kind of a thing. Right. And the thing is, is that yeah. marketing, if you, if you don't do sort of what you're talking about, you can spend a lot of money um, and waste a lot of money. I've got, you know, since I've been doing this for a good minute, um, <clears throat> I probably have more examples of companies that have done it wrong than they've done it right. And so, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking. A lot of times when I, I had the opportunity, I was getting an award down at this uh, business network, uh, business acceleration organization in Orlando a couple weeks ago um the uh and it was about my you know work with compassionate capitalism and the movement and so uh when i was kind of uh, i don't wouldn't say it was an acceptance speech but it was but the thing was <laughs> that i was i was yeah i was um really trying to express to folks that need uh to you know understand that process and understand your you know that you could participate as same. I mean, for me myself, what I'm trying to do in getting more investors to understand they can invest in entrepreneurism. I neglected that myself when I first came out with my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, because I had the assumption that as a result of the Jobs Act and this this ability for investors of all income levels really to participate in entrepreneurism and invest in them. You don't have to be the entrepreneur, assume all the risk of being an entrepreneur, 
figure all these other things out if you um, can't if you invest in the entrepreneur. But you got to be smart about how you go do that because when I was first interviewing um, investors back when I first took over the Angel Investor Group and was asking, well, how do you why do you invest in this company or that company and you know, how'd you learn about angel investing? And they, you know, so majority of them told me that they got invited by a friend. They really liked this idea of, of, you know, entrepreneurism. They had a corporate gig and they were, um, but they lost their money and they learned by losing and they probably didn't make money until their fifth or sixth investment. And I was like, that's a mm-hmm. horrible way to learn how to be an angel <laughs> investor. And so I just assumed that everybody out there that, you know, had not heard, you know, the buzz of crowdfunding, they would be like all over it. They'd be like, oh, I'm going to totally get on. I'm going to get on board. I'm going to start investing in these companies. I want to go learn. I'm going to go search and learn how to be an angel investor. And um, what I come to find out is that huge amount, it's still only a small percentage of our population in the United States that invest in private companies. It's probably of the overall population, probably 5% overall at the most of the, of the accredited investors, the uber wealthy, it's, you know, what, two or 3%. And so there's a few million if you, depending on how you, you, which list you look at of accredited investors based off of a W2 that have never invested in a private company. And so I jumped on the Facebook bandwagon and the Instagram bandwagon and quickly found out that that's not where my audience is, you know, that (laughs) they're, you know, that person that is, um, you know, a business person that wants to diversify their income. They're not spending a lot of time on Facebook and Instagram. They are on LinkedIn and they might be on Twitter and stuff like that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't know who, I mean, I knew who my authentic customer was, but I didn't understand my platform or how to yeah. reach them. And I'm still figuring it out. I'm still iterating. That's one of the reasons why I do this podcast, quite frankly, is so that I thought, you know, interesting topics like having you on my show, bring certain people in that they'll go, oh, you mean I could be investing in companies? I didn't know that, you know, if it would have fit on the cover of the book and people, I might've done something, how to invest in multiple companies and own a small percentage of them before they go public and, or get bought. Right. <laughs> but that's a really bad title yeah. for search engines. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Moss generation because the story behind that and how that you kind of introduced it, but I just thought to me, that just shows Pittsburgh. People don't think about Pittsburgh as being a Mecca of angel investing or this mm-hmm. kind of, you know, they think of, Philadelphia, maybe, or there's big angel groups that are kind of in the New Jersey to Philly pipeline there, right? But when you go outside mm-hmm. of the major cities, we have this challenge in Atlanta where, you know, people don't really think about it. there might be angel investors down in Columbus, Georgia, or Macon, or someplace else. They all, everything, it's all in Atlanta, right? And so mm-hmm. um, Florida is quite different because they don't have any one major mecca. It's all, it's, you know, Miami sort of, but it's all spread out. So they have a lot of angel groups in all the different kinds of of cities. And so I was fascinated to hear about what you're doing in Pittsburgh. And I'm going to be sending this out, this podcast link out to my friends up in Pittsburgh to plug into Moss Generation and understand it. But uh, talk a little bit about the evolution of how that came to pass, because it was clear that there you had a prime ripe market that needed what you were doing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, just to run over it again, Moss Generation is just kind of an aggregator 
um, uh, an exclusive little startup community for all of kind of Pittsburgh's entrepreneurs, Pittsburgh's product, on, product entrepreneurs. And we're expanding outside of the product, but mostly it's like if you have traction on something awesome that you're building, hopefully it's a product company. We like product companies a bit more because there's that scalability factor and that investability factor. Um, but we're starting to expand to other, to other kind of companies, some service companies, some, some lifestyle product companies, just because they still have um, valuable things to, to talk about. Um, but the goal is like early stage entrepreneurs, they're all dealing with the same crap, right? They're all kind of trying to grow um, and they're all struggling because nobody can do it perfectly, especially not on their first try. And most of them are first-time entrepreneurs. Um, and so just getting everybody together, it's just it's awesome to see everybody just kind of just groan and whine about all the stuff that they're dealing with. And it's a really nice space for everybody to kind of share the crap that they're dealing with together, right? Um, and moreover, if we can centralize everything that's going on in Pittsburgh, it makes it so much easier for outside capital, outside mentors, outside resources, and even inside resources to connect to what's going on in the city. So if an angel investor wants to get active in Pittsburgh, whether they live in Pittsburgh or not, we can make that happen, right? Um, and, and Pittsburgh has so many redeeming qualities. It's super lean compared to like New York or Silicon Valley. Um, it's, it has, it's, it's got an alarming amount of tech because we have Carnegie Mellon University here, which is the number one computer science school, number one robotics school. Oh, um, yeah. And so we have a ton of tech coming out of here. Yeah, there's a ton of really, really deep technology companies in town, and they're doing awesome things. Um, they can build whatever they want, so that's a huge advantage. So we have a decent amount of talent here. Um, we have a lot of uh, deep tech um, experience, and we're lean. We, we have a, a nice cost of living. Um, but we, we started the group. Um, sorry to get sidetracked. Me and my partner Andy started the group. He initially just kind of started it, getting a few of his friends together from a local accelerator, just kind of whining about their problems over dinner. And it was great, and everybody loved it. It was fun. Um, he hosted another one. I think like 20 people came. And it was this nice event. He actually, like, while he was getting everybody together, he was talking to one of his friends that, that worked in a, in a corporate group nearby. And they were like, hey, our group is looking to get, to get in touch with local startups. Do you think we could sponsor the event? Um, and he said, absolutely. And so that worked really well. And I went to that event and he immediately after the, the second event that he hosted where he got the sponsorship, he, cause I was doing similar events in town. I was kind of building similar things for entrepreneurs and he knew I wanted to do something along those lines. Um, we sat down, he's building his own startup. He can't build Moss generation full-time for sure. Um, and he knew he needed a little bit of help and he knew I would love it. And so he asked me to join him. I joined him and we've been building it for about a year and a half since then. Um, we started with about 20 people in the group. And just through, honestly, a lot of it was organic. So our sponsor introduced us to another sponsor who introduced us to another sponsor who introduced us to another one. Like the, the sponsorship was very, very organic. And right now I'm trying to be more aggressive with it. But um, on the like uh, entrepreneur side, just saying like, hey, we host free events. We keep the networking value high. We only invite people that are working on really cool startups that for some odd reason is unbelievably hard to find, and it was really it resonated a lot with what's going on in Pittsburgh because so many events here are just they're they're great, they're awesome, they're awesome for people that are getting their feet wet and trying to learn. But when you're actually building a product company, and I've, I've talked to people even in Seattle and New York and, and and Silicon Valley about this. A lot of the events that you go to, if you're trying to build something real, it's just the topics are so general, and the people you meet there are just interested in selling to entrepreneurs. That's why they're at the events. Um, and they're, they're often service providers or real estate agents or whatever, whatever you have. Um, and it just doesn't become valuable for you anymore to go to these events and try to network. And everybody always puts such a huge priority on networking. But if you're not getting out of anything out of these events, you're just wasting your time. And you could be spend, like spending building product, right, and selling mm -hmm. your product and working on marketing or whatever it is. 
Um, and so we found that by keeping things exclusive, keeping things to a whitelist, keeping like, very carefully curating who's coming to this event, um, and that makes it so much better of a time. It makes people so much more comfortable, and it makes these really high-value people that are building these amazing companies actually want to come. Um, we got uh, a few. We, we regularly have a few angel investors come because they want to connect to the entrepreneurs. Uh, we have some VCs show up sometimes. We're, we're looking into getting sponsored by some VCs, um, and a lot of corporate groups in town. They want to get to know startups as they're as they're early, um, and so that's a nice point for us because we can get paid for that. So, uh, but just generally, like, be careful. Like, don't bring everybody. Don't make it some big hype fest. The second you start building something real and you're building a real company, everybody everybody gets immediately tired of all the BS in the industry because there's so much fluff. There's so much fluff about hustle, hustle, hustle. There's so much fluff about, about like working super hard and, and, and learning all these things, networking and, and building whatever it is you um, like it's, there's no focus on the real stuff and there's so little content and so few communities around truly building awesome companies. Um, and if you curate it really carefully to those kind of kinds of people, they will flock because they, there's nothing else like that, and it's really ridiculous. Um, so that's, I think, why we got the initial traction, because there's just a lot of BS in the industry, and we try to be no BS, right? So and that kind of explains it. Well, it's truly organic, because if you do have, you know, the other definition, part of a compassionate capitalism, yeah, it's the money, but there's also, you know, peop- it's people that will mm-hmm, dedicate mm-hmm. their time and their knowledge, right, to helping that, and that's what mm-hmm. you're doing. You have time and knowledge, and um, you've got, and then you have these other folks that come, some of those sponsors that come, you know, there's always a need to have an ROI on it. So it's either the relationships that you're developing that's going to lead to something in the future, the knowledge you gain from what's being shared there. And then in some cases, like uh, probably because of, uh, you know, there's, there's there, a lot of times like when law firms or something like that will sponsor events such as that, they want to have that cream of the crop that bubbles up that can ultimately become a, a client, but they, they, they're not just coming to the game once they became a client. I mean, IBM learned that mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. when I was um, with IBM and my last job there, complex opportunity business manager, one of the things they, they had figured out was that they were losing out on all the startups that were coming through eBay and Amazon and Facebook because mm-hmm. they weren't cultivating those relationships when they were startups. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, it's a, that was a, a lesson that, like you earlier in the in this talk, you talked about, you know, big companies learning the value of side gigs and, uh, you know, having the flexibility with their workforce for them to pursue other interests that they're that they are passionate about because it makes them appreciate their job and be more passionate within their job as well and commit mm-hmm, to the job. Mm-hmm. So. Um, all right. Well, good. So, you know, we're just about pretty much out of our time. I wanted to encourage folks to go to my website, KarenRands.co, and to uh, learn all about how we help entrepreneurs and investors and uh, get access to the free resources that I have there as well. And then how would you, what, what's last, your last little golden nugget you want to put out there, Max? Yeah. Um, I think if you're looking to start a company, then don't put so much priority on, on the actual technology. Go and talk to people and find out what problems they're having uh, if you're just getting started. And if you are an investor, I think there's an alarming amount of opportunity in, in these slower-growing companies, right? These lifestyle companies, these side hustles, um, still product-focused, but 
but don't always uh, kind of throw your head into the big fancy Silicon Valley kind of things because a lot of that goes wrong and there's a lot of uh, opportunity in these smaller companies that, that might not grow as large but, um, but are, have less competition, have less uh, con- like confusing stuff in the industry. So I would, I would kind of seek out for everybody, whether you're just starting or whether you're all the way an investor, to, to check out the kind of uh, movement around these smaller product companies, these lifestyle companies. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, uh, to call in and be a part of my show. I think uh, hopefully folks got a lot of value out of this. Please go to, uh, if you're listening to it, rate the show, share it, uh, and um, and let's help, and help us spread this idea of compassionate capitalism and being uh, uh, an engaged entrepreneur that understands their marketplace. And with that, yeah. I'll say... Thank you again, and onwards and upwards, everybody. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Bye-bye.